Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I am Tracy V. Wilson and it's August 14th. The Mainz Psalter was first published on this day in 1457. You've probably heard of the Gutenberg Bible, which was the first book to be printed with movable type in the West. The Mainz Psalter was the second such book, and it's named for the city where it was printed, which was also home to Johannes Gutenberg and the Gutenberg Bible. But you really should not think of the Mainz Psalter as just some kind of runner-up, the second best to the Gutenberg Bible. It had a lot of its own firsts in the world of printing. It was the first printed book in Europe to have the date of the publication printed inside the book. It was the first book to have a colophon. This is a brief statement that's printed at the end of the book that includes information like where it was printed and who printed it. The Mainz Psalter's colophon was also the first one to contain a printer's mark, and that's like a logo that served as the publisher's trademark. Here is what the Mainz Psalter's colophon says in English. This volume of the Psalms, adorned with a magnificence of capital letters and clearly divided by rubrics, has been fashioned by a mechanical process of printing and producing characters without the use of a pen, and it was laboriously completed for God's holiness by Joachim Fust, a citizen of Mainz, and Peter Schuffer of Gernsheim on Assumption Eve in the year of our Lord, 1457. The Mainz Psalter was also the first printed book to have large decorative initials that were referred to in the colophon. These were at the starts of paragraphs and sentences, and that brings us to another first, which was that it had two different sizes of type. And lastly, the Mainz Psalter was the first book in the West to be printed with three colors of ink. Those last two firsts feel a little quaint today to need to call out as firsts, considering that there is a printer sitting next to me right now that will print type in whatever size and color that I want. This book, as the colophon spelled out, was the work of Peter Schuffer. That was a scribe who had some experience in printing. Also, a Mainz merchant named Joachim Fust, which is sometimes anglicized as Johann. He had previously worked with Gutenberg, although that work with Gutenberg led to a dispute and a lawsuit over money, which was ultimately settled in Fust's favor. Sometimes his name is also written as Faust because his grandson spelled it that way in the dedication of a book in 1506. The whole family ended up adopting that spelling and going with Faust from that point. There's also a whole story about his work in printing bringing on accusations of witchcraft, but that's pretty poorly substantiated. If there were accusations of witchcraft, it was probably more of an attempt by booksellers to try to destroy his reputation. They were worried about the threat of movable type and the threat of being able to print things more quickly, so it would have been in their interests to make it seem like maybe there was something nefarious going on. It probably was not anyone actually believing that movable type was magic somehow. 
So this whole book, The Mind Psalter, it's a book of psalms in Latin. They have large red and blue initial letters, decorations all around the letters. It's really beautiful. And because it's a printed book, there are a lot of copies of it. It was done in two different versions, a short one that was for general use and a longer one that was for use of the Archdiocese of Mainz. At least 10 complete copies of this book survive today, along with lots of other partial copies and fragments. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat for her research work on this episode of the podcast and to Tari Harrison for her audio skills on all of these episodes. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a 20th century borderline whose effects are still felt today. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers a little bit more about history every day. The day was August 14, 1975. The film The Rocky Horror Picture Show premiered in London at the Rialto Cinema. Based on a stage play called The Rocky Horror Show, the movie is still in limited release in theaters across the United States. The play The Rocky Horror Show opened in London in 1973. Actor and writer Richard O'Brien wrote the musical, which nods to science fiction, B-horror movies, and rock and roll. In the play, a couple gets caught in a storm, gets a flat tire, and ends up at the castle of a scientist named Dr. Frankenfurter. It featured Tim Curry, Patricia Quinn, Nell Campbell, Julie Covington, and Richard O'Brien. The show's original production in London was well-received, and it moved to a larger theater in Chelsea, then the even larger King's Road Theater. The production went on to be produced in other venues around the world. American record producer Lou Adler saw the show in London in 1973, and he liked it so much that he secured the U.S. theatrical rights to the show. It premiered at his Roxy Theater in Los Angeles in 1974. Adler made a deal with 20th Century Fox, and filming of the Rocky Horror Picture Show began in 1974 in England. Many of the people who were in the original stage production were also cast in the film. The shoot lasted for about six weeks. The Rocky Horror Picture Show opened in London on August 14, 1975, and it had its official U.S. debut in Los Angeles in September at the UA Theater in Westwood Village. It did well in Los Angeles, but it was not successful elsewhere. But even though the turnout was poor in other cities, people were returning for repeat viewings. The ending of the film was recut, and Adler and Tim Deegan, the film's marketing director, decided to release the film as a midnight screening. In early 1976, theaters around the country began showing the Rocky Horror Picture Show at midnight screenings. Audiences for the film grew, and people began wearing costumes to the showings and interacting with the film in other ways. Groups began performing live at the showings. The official Rocky Horror Picture Show fan club formed at the Waverly Theater in New York. By the end of 1977, 
the screenings have become all-out interactive experiences. People began holding conventions around the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and it began getting more attention through news and media outlets. In 1981, the film Shock Treatment was released as a follow-up, but not a direct sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Fox also produced a reimagining of the film that aired on television in 2016. The Rocky Horror Picture Show has remained in circulation since it opened. Though it was initially considered a box office and critical flop, it has since become a cult classic and made millions of dollars. Because it's still in limited release today, it's the longest running theatrical release in film history. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you haven't gotten your fill of history after listening to today's episode, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. We'll see you here in the same place tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.